Last minute escapes. In the sun? What is the best airline? Or the worst airline? What happens if my flight is delayed? Or cancelled? Would I be put on a new flight? Or would I be refunded? What if it takes me days to get home? Hmm. Benefits of a UK staycation. When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk. Hi there, it's producer Rob here. Now, maybe you're a new listener. Maybe you've been listening for ages. Well, either way, if you're finding this podcast useful, then you might also like to subscribe to Which Money. You'll get our monthly magazine packed with tips on how to make the most of your cash, from growing your savings and investments to avoiding rip-offs and scams. You'll also be able to call our experts on the Which Money helpline as often as you like to get answers to your money queries. Just visit which.co.uk forward slash join money. That's which.co.uk forward slash join money and sign up today. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. The good news is that you don't have to put up your money funding fossil fuels. Uh, The bad news is it's fiendishly difficult to track what banks are actually doing with your money. Their heart is in the right place, and I I do mean that all firms, the niche players, the smaller firms and the large players. So you recycle, take public transport and cycle more, use energy saving light bulbs, the list goes on. But what about your bank? Is that letting you down when it comes to sustainability? You might ask, well, how bad really can it be? And if it is, is there anything you can even do about it? Well, we'll be deep diving into the lot in today's episode and revealing our most highly rated eco-friendly banks. And for all of this, I'm joined by the deputy editor of Which Money, Sam Richardson. And later on, we'll be hearing from Morad Chowdhury, honorary professor at the University of Kent Business School. But first then, Sam, hello. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, Lucia. It's great to be back. So, Sam, then, can you start by telling us about the scale of the issue? Because I read this incredible stat that the 60 largest banks invested $669 billion in the fossil fuel industry in 2022. And that translates to about £545 million. You know, no pun intended, but this is no drop in the ocean, is it? It certainly isn't. I find that with these, you know, the numbers are so huge, it's difficult to get your head around it. But maybe another way to put it is all the activities that you read about, say, in the papers that make you uncomfortable, stuff like fracking, coal mines, drilling in the Arctic, they all require money. They all require investment. That's either banks directly lending to the firms doing that or helping them get loans from other organisations. So you've got to ask, well, where does the bank's money come from? The answer is actually for a significant part of it, you, your money, your deposit in your current account. The good news is that you don't have to put up your money funding fossil fuels. Uh, The bad news is it's fiendishly difficult to track what banks are actually doing with your money. It's taken us years and years to answer this question, but I think now we finally have 
some ratings and some eco provider badges that you can really use to kind of keep your money green. Well, I can't wait to reveal some of these ratings as we go through the show. But first then, let's put ourselves in a consumer's place. You know, when you open a bank account, you might consider, say, switching deals. You know, we love them on the show. Say how good the app is or if there's a branch near you, you know, the list goes on. But does whether your bank is green really cross many people's minds? So it's a debatable one. In January, we asked over 1,400 which members about this, and 69% said picking an account with a sustainable bank is the least important way they could tackle climate change. So behind flying less and recycling, stuff like that. I think this often, you know, the idea of sustainable finance gets put in the too difficult or too boring box in people's heads. However, in June this year, campaigning charity Share Action also surveyed British adults and they found that 52% were keen to know more about how banks invest customers' money, but 83% said they knew little or nothing about where their money was invested, uh, which is quite shocking, right? Most of the time, perhaps more so in a money magazine, but very much keeping up my eye on where my money is, except when it comes to this sort of thing. And I'll say, you know, while this research is new for which, it's in many ways core to what we do. We're here to help people make informed decisions and cut through the jargon. And there's so much of that when it comes to green banking. Well, it's great to hear that people are interested in how their banks are investing their money. So let's get on with it then. You know, to begin with then, how did you go about assessing the kind of sustainability broadly of banks on the high street? So we focused on fossil fuel policies uh, in cooperation with campaigning organisation Reclaim Finance. So do banks have a policy deciding what they can and can't invest in? We also looked at where they invest in kind of agricultural commodities such as beef, soy, timber, palm oil, which are all quite controversial. We looked at transparency levels, like how much of this are they publicly reporting to us? And do they have credible plans to and targets to reduce exposure to environmentally damaging sectors. We also looked at whether they publish independently verified data and have signed up to kind of wider banking group investments, key ones here at the UN-led Net Zero Banking Alliance, the NZBA, and the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, PCAF. But the main thing is those policies, do they have them? And before we get onto the ones that are leading the way as good examples then, you know, I was really surprised to see that the worst offenders included some really huge household names. Can you share those first? Yes, let's reel off some names. So Barclays, HSBC, Lloyd, NatWest and Santander were all investing in the fossil fuel industry. And while Chase Bank is new to the UK, it's an app-based bank, it's part of American giant JP Morgan Chase, which is one of the world's biggest fossil fuel financiers. I should also mention that those are the main banking groups because we looked at group level. But within those, you've also got Royal Bank of Scotland and Ulster Bank, which is part of NatWest, First Direct, which is part of HSBC, and Halifax and Bank of Scotland that are part of Lloyd's. So it's very possible that you've got an account with one of these banks. I mean, I know I do. Um, So many of the big players there. And so what makes them so bad? You know, can we break down some of the the common themes across them? So it's a surprisingly difficult one to answer that, but they all have some current investment in oil and gas extraction, even if some like NatWest and Lloyd's have committed to stop funding new oil and gas projects. 
I would say, so we compared all of these banks that fund fossil fuels to see, you know, are there any that are better or worse out of those? And then rather, I'd say, so even Lloyd's, which received a higher score as in, you know, least environmentally damaging among the fossil fuel financiers, still put over 15 billion into fossil fuels. And while the efforts of banks to make changes should really be applauded, and we should notice the difference between them, we're very much talking about a best of a bad bunch situation. Scores went from 43%, which Lloyd's got downwards. Gosh, that's incredibly low, isn't it? Yeah, we had to be quite strict with our scoring, basically, because there are a lot of banks out there that don't fund fossil fuels. So I don't want people to think, oh, I haven't got a choice. I have to go with one of these big banks, because as we're going to hear later on, you've got quite a few alternatives. Well, just before then, we do hear about the alternatives, the ones leading the way as good examples. First, let's hear from Morad Chowdhury. So Morad is an honorary professor at the University of Kent Business School and author of the book, The Principles of Banking. He'll also be leading a special session for the UK Finance on sustainable banking and climate risk management later in the month. And earlier in the week, our producer Rob caught up with him and here's what he had to say on our findings. Well, first of all, I thought it was very well written. It was succinct. It was straightforward. It's easy to read. And uh, I have to admit, the contents were unsurprising. I was unsurprised to see the names that were given a, a greener rating and the names that were given a less green rating. But uh, really, if, if a bank has a, a niche business model, then it's easy to obtain a, a more green credential, if you like. So, for example, one of the firms that were named in the report, Triodos Bank, its mission statement is all about sustainable finance, similar, for example, to the Ecology Building Society. So that would be a, those would be two firms that are have genuine green credentials and it's part of their mission statement. Whereas if an institution that's been around for a very long time, has a complex balance sheet, has a full set of products and a wide-ranging customer franchise, everything from retail to very large corporates and international companies, it takes time to move on to a, a greener footing. So I was unsurprised to see the larger names with perhaps less green credentials than the more niche players. You mentioned their complex balance sheets. What does that mean? Do you mind just unpicking that a bit for us? A good question. Actually, I shouldn't have used that expression. <laughs> By complexity, I mean when there is a wide range of products and a wide range of customers. So we all know what we mean at the retail level, individuals, you and I, by financial products. We mean you know, loan products that we might use, like credit cards or mortgages, personal loans, and deposit products that we might use, like a, like a current account, a savings account, and, and so on. When an institution starts doing business with larger, more complex institutions, you know, large corporates, multinational corporates, the range of products differs. And of course, the type of customer differs as well. And you end up with a much wider range of products and a wider range of customers giving you a complex balance sheet. Now, certain customers will have more green credentials than others. So I suppose if one had a, actually, there's no suppose about it, if one has a net zero target in mind, over time, a bank would want to do less business with less green customers and more with more green customers. That doesn't mean that you stop doing business with, for example, companies engaged in energy or construction or carbon extraction. It just means that one starts to understand the green credentials of these firms and what they're doing towards net zero and then acts accordingly. And by the way, that a knowledge of that is, is required in regulation now in the UK anyway. Are banks and financial institutions transparent enough from a customer perspective with what they are doing and how green their behaviour may or may not be? If I'm making a broad generalisation, I would say yes. I think they're certainly trying their hardest in the right place. And I do mean that all firms, the niche players, the smaller firms and the large players, from what I'm seeing, there is a genuine desire to be transparent, to let 
consumers, let all stakeholders, including the regulator as well as consumers, see what they're doing, the makeup of their business, so that consumers will be aware of it. Now, that's a generalisation. And UK banks, I would say, fall in that category. Now, there's lots of banks in the city of London. In fact, there's lots of banks in the UK. I I can't remember what the number is, but the UK regulator has about between 300 and 400 (laughs) banks that it regulates. Some of them will be more transparent than others. But as a broad generalisation, the answer would be yes. And why do banks do this? In its simplest form, why are banks investing this money into or lending this money to these companies who may not have particularly green credentials? Is that to do with them being able to offer us the best products available? Well, that's an interesting point. Let me come to that. Traditionally, it would be more historical. Think about a bank that's been around for, you know, and we have them in this country, an institution that's been around for 20, 30, 50, 100 years, or in some cases even longer. They've built up customer relationships over time, both with retail and with corporate customers. And so there could be customers, corporate customers in that space that are connected with businesses that are climate impacting or are, you know, environmental impacting. Now, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad for the environment, but they will be engaged in businesses like, as I mentioned, agriculture, construction, cement construction, the obvious one, hydrocarbons, energy uh, generation. There could be historical relationship reasons why they would do that. But of course, that's now being assessed. So again, I'm making a generalisation, but where banks were doing business with these sorts of customers, they may be reducing that number or seeing what their customers were doing towards uh, net zero, carbon net zero, and then looking to encourage business that is more sustainable. So it is historical. You then asked about, is that part of giving more value for money to retail customers? I mean, we can't get away from the fact that some consumers have green credentials higher up their priority than others. For most users of financial products at the retail level, probably is fair to say that the biggest driver of their decision making is the value for money. In other words, if I'm saving money with a bank, I'd like to receive the highest interest rate. And if I'm borrowing money from a bank, whether long term or short term, I'd like the lowest interest rate. And that's probably the biggest driver for most customers, whether they're retail or corporate. But to offer this value for money, possibly, yes, they need to generate value elsewhere so that they can offer better value to their retail customers. But in due course, certainly in the UK, because of regulation, there is a general feeling, there's a general objective of reviewing the business that's being undertaken so that over time, that business is fueling more sustainable finance and reducing what it's doing in terms of unsustainable business. So then who holds the green responsibility? Is it the bank or is it the consumer? I don't think this responsibility falls on any one, any one industry or one sector or one company or one group of individuals. In Europe, in the European Union and in the UK, the bank regulatory authorities have published guidance on sustainable finance and climate change risk management. In the US, the Federal Reserve chairman has said it's not really the role of the banks, it's the role of politicians to make rules on this and then they should direct, you know, governments to set laws on this and and then they should direct what industry does. I can see the merit of both answers. (laughs) I can see the benefit of both approaches. It's everyone's responsibility. Looking after the environment is to the benefit of everyone, and therefore it's got to be everyone's responsibility. And we'll be back to you discuss Morad's comments and reveal the most eco-banks after a quick break. You've probably heard of Which Magazine, our home of hard-hitting journalism and informative stories delivered directly to our members. There's our travel, money and tech mags too. But did you know you can hear some of our best articles for free, available to listen to whenever you like? Each week on the Witch Shorts podcast, we bring you a specially selected story, lovingly voiced and produced especially for you, on a whole range of fascinating topics. 
Just search Rich Shorts wherever you're listening. Scammers are stealing hundreds of millions of pounds every year. They bombard us with fraudulent texts, emails and calls. And what's more, their tactics are getting increasingly sinister. To keep across the latest scams, sign up to our free Scam Alert service to help you stay ahead of the latest scams and protect yourself. Go to witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. That's witch.co.uk forward slash scam alert dash newsletter. Thank you. So Sam, we just heard from Morad there. Is there anything you would like to add on, you know, whether banks should be taking more responsibility if the onus is really on banks here to do more? So I actually agree with Morad that it's everyone's responsibility. It's not just banks. Sure, they should be changing their investments and the way they do business. But it's also up to us to choose banks that are pioneering greener ways of doing things to give the other ones a commercial responsibility to change I think it's also up to regulators to put in place the rules that banks have to follow. But I don't think we can say it's up to politicians, let's leave it. It's our responsibility as well. I would say there are some that I don't necessarily see it the same way as Morad. He made a very important point about large, long-established institutions taking a longer time to change course compared to more niche banks. I agree. But my view of this as a consumer journalist rather than a banking journalist is as a consumer, you shouldn't have to wait for that transition. There are greener providers out there already. You can switch current account in seven days thanks to the current account switch guarantee. So why not move now? I would also add there's an argument that if many of us move to greener banks now, the larger banks, those slower movers, will have a very strong commercial incentive to accelerate their environmental plans and you know, make this very long transition a lot quicker. You know, to go back to your first point, you know, thankfully we're going to be revealing some answers today, making things clearer for consumers. But if a lack of transparency is such an issue, it does make it difficult for consumers to kind of take responsibility and choose a greener bank. Do you know what I mean by that? I do. I would say that's why we've done this research. That you know, research is now online. You can see all of our rankings. We've got write-ups of the banks. I would also say it's up to regulators to really crack down on greenwashing. The number of adverts you see with green fields and wind turbines for an organisation that we know is ploughing money into oil and coal is outrageous, frankly. And once regulators step up, it will really help consumers who say aren't aware of our research to make the right decision. Okay, then. So now the moment we've all been waiting for, it's time to focus on the positives and give credit where credit's due. We've just heard Morad mention a couple of them too. So which banks are doing their bit for sustainability? Which ones scored the highest? So we named three eco-providers, which are Nationwide Building Society, the Cooperative Bank and Trildos Bank. All of them have no investment in fossil fuels, and they either have a business model or very strict policies that prevent them from investing in fossil fuels in the future. So if you open an account with them now, you know your money is not going to fossil fuels anytime soon. Trildus is probably the one you're least familiar with. It offers current accounts, savings accounts, investments, and it goes beyond excluding bad firms, actively focusing where it invests on good ones. Projects like renewable energy and social housing What's particularly interesting is that you can actually look at the list of companies they've invested in on their website, which is quite unusual. 
Uh, Nationwide invests in residential mortgages, so it doesn't fund fossil fuels, while the cooperative bank mainly funds small and medium businesses. But it has a policy which is very strict on what it will and won't invest in. Well, the first thing then that comes to mind for me is that switching to a green bank doesn't mean missing out on switching deals. As we mentioned last week um, on the show, Nationwide is offering a cracking deal right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. They're offering £200 if you switch your current account to them now. And that's among the highest switching offers currently on the market. It's also offering a regular saver account that pays an interest rate of 8% which is one of very few interest rates I've seen for many years that will beat inflation. Of course, that doesn't mean that Nationwide is the best bank for you. I'd really encourage you to go online, have a look at our reviews, see what they offer, but it's definitely worth considering. Well, that brings me to my next point. What about all the other stuff? Customer service, the type of products it offers, does opting for a green bank come at a price? Well, I think we've developed this really unfortunate association of green products being expensive and not as good. But I don't think that applies to banking, really. So Nationwide's uh, customer score is very good. It's the best of the high street banks. While the cooperatives is middling, we haven't been able to score Trilodos recently as we haven't got enough of its customers responding to our surveys. But when we have in recent years, they've been very positive about it. And I should say that many of the high street banks, which pour huge amounts of money into fossil fuels, also have dreadful customer scores and dreadful interest rates on savings, for example. Product-wise, it's also worth mentioning that Nationwide and the Cooperative Bank have the two best packaged accounts on the market by a long way. That's accounts where you pay a fee in return for insurance and other perks. I also hope you know, that we'll come to see transparency about where your money's going and strict policies as to what it's used for as a perk, you know, in the same way that we now really value being able to check our balances on our phones or getting regular updates about payments coming in or out. I do think in the future, more of us, this will be something we pick banks on. And what do you think? Is it fair to say that some of the newer emerging banks might be more sustainably conscious, given they haven't got as much of a history of investing in fossil fuels and other polluting industries like some of the more well-established lenders? Sadly, it's not as simple as saying the newer challenge of banks are necessarily greener. So Starling Bank, which, you know, is a really good bank. It's one of our which recommended providers uh, It's app base. It fell into our middle category, Amber. It didn't have fossil fuel investments, but it also didn't have public facing policies to prevent them. As for Monzo, it didn't even reply to our questions. We weren't able to rate it. What I'd say is, you know, while these banks have a lot to offer you as a customer, they deserve just as much scrutiny as high street banks. Just because you know they're new and cool and come on an app doesn't mean that they're not putting money into environmentally damaging investments. And so now we know what the banks are up to, investing millions in fossil fuels and other unsustainable investments. So how can we separate the wheat from the chaff? See through adverts of green spaces and wind farms, claims about energy and all that stuff, and tell if a bank is really serious about reducing their environmental impact. So start with our ratings. They're online at which.co.uk green banks. But, you know, if you really want to go into detail, do some of your own research. Uh, Start by taking those grand claims with a pinch of salt. Look for detail on a bank's annual reports and dedicated environmental, social and governance statements. If you've got an account with a big investment bank, check the annual Banking on Climate Chaos report by the Rainforest Action Network and Reclaim Finance, among others. Really useful report. Also, learn about the finance flowing into risky sectors at forestandfinance.org and banktrack.org. 
both which have searchable databases. Use online tools such as coalpolicytool.org and oilgaspolicytracker.org for details on the bank's policies on restricting sports to fossil fuel industry. And there's also Ethical Consumer, which rates banks on stuff like human rights, animal rights and tax avoidance, as well as the environmental impact stuff that we've looked at. And I'd say, you know, if you're not satisfied with how your bank's performing or what they're putting your money into, switch. You can use that current account switch service, which moves your balance and your ongoing payments. Go to which.co.uk forward slash switch bank to learn more about that. Some brilliant advice there and some great resources, which we'll get a, a link to in the description of today's show. Thank you so, so much for joining us on today's show, Sam. Thank you. A huge thanks again to Sam and also to Morad Chowdhury for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch our new episodes as soon as they drop. For more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have a free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was written by me, Lucia Ariano, produced by myself and Rob Lilly, and edited by Eric Breer, with additional support from Grace Witherden and Matthew Jenkins. Moving house with kids. Mom! Moving house checklist. Top packing tips. Do it ourselves or hire movers? Hiya! <sighs> Things to do in the school holidays. Best solo holidays. When life gives you questions, get answers at witch.co.uk.